Are you waiting? Are you ready? Are you feeling it? Wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you're one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. We're going to be in your ear holes, helping out in the only way we know how, with 90 minutes of gaming goodness, because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Third Love and Native. They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canada, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who's finalizing his top five of the year, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. And I'm finalizing yours, too, Jeff. I've seen what's in your head. There's only one way this is going to go down. It's a top five list at the end of the year. Oh, Christian Silverhand. I didn't know Christian Silverhand was here. <laughs> messing around. We got to go. Oh, my gosh. You know, uh, maybe DLC this week should stand for discussing at length cyberpunk <laughs> because, because we are going to do it. And, you know, we uh, it, it's uh, the year has switched over. As Christian said last week, the year has switched over. We, we are now living in 2077, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so it, this episode is going to be very heavy on the Cyberpunk 2077 talk. We will try to stay as as spoiler-free as possible, as we like to do. But the good news for you, dear listener, is that we have an awesome guest to do this with. You know the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I am so excited because, once again, DLC stands for Diversions, Literature, and Comics. Because we have the editor-in-chief of Game Informer, co-author of the novel Prime, and host of the comic book podcast and video games weekly, Mr. Andrew Reiner is back with us. Hey, Andrew. Hello. Holy hell, Jeff. I don't know where you have the energy this late in the pandemic, but I feel like I'm going to have to slam this coffee just to keep up with you here. Uh, (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So much excitement. I love it. Uh, it's my, the best part of my week. I'm so excited to have you on and, and talk video games. Uh, really enjoyed your cyberpunk review in Game Informer. We will be getting to that in the playlist section. Uh, but we have tons to talk about. I mean, it was uh, it was also the Game Awards this week, which means about 357 new game releases or announcements, I should say. Uh, so let's get to it. We got a jam-packed show, and we'll start the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Great place to send questions or comments as well. Uh, We love hearing from you. So dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Also, you can check out our subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com or join our Discord, which is also 5x5dlc on Discord. Great community. I urge you to take part. Good folks to talk to about video games or anything else. Uh, But Andrew, you are our guest, so you get first Mm -hmm. pick of stories what would you consider to be your story of the week? Cyberpunk, without question. <laughs> I mean, is, there's so much. It, 
there was so much anticipation. This is the biggest game of the year. It was kind of hyped up as the biggest game for of the year for what the last three years uh, that people have been yeah. anticipating this. And then it hit and it was a seismic impact, right? Not in the ways we all wanted, but yeah, it made ripples all across the industry and, you know, every household that's playing it, people had something to say about it. Definitely. And, you know, we'll talk about the game as a game and what we think about about it in the next segment. But I do think that the launch itself is a huge story this week, uh, as you're indicating. And I wonder what your perception of it was, because, you know, as you said, here's this game that we've all been anticipating, you know, every the last several years. I mean, it's been it's been the biggest game at E3 for several years. It's been, you know, we're thinking it's going to come out in the last few years. It keeps getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And CD Projekt Red, which had, I think, gained a lot of goodwill and capital in people's minds from how they have handled The Witcher 3 over the last, I don't know, how long has that been? A decade, it feels like. Yeah. Um do you think that all of that goodwill was was squandered? Do you think that I mean this this was a rocky launch. This was a um all the delays I think people forgave, but then when it push came to shove, we saw uh, you know a lot of uh, I think uh, a lot of problems, let's be honest. And what what was your perception of the way the launch happened this week? I think everybody agrees that maybe this should have been a 2021 game. You yeah. know, but the the perspective from players is very different. You know, if you're on PC, there's some bugs, you know, visual bugs, visual hitches, stuff like that are interfering with the game. I had one where every item that a character would hold, whether it was a shot glass or a cigarette or whatever, ended up turning into a gun that was pointed at their face. Yeah, for one of my playthroughs, I had to reboot it because I, I couldn't stop laughing at one point because they would take <laughs> a shot of the glass, you know, like of a of a whiskey and they'd be putting the gun in their mouth. I'm like, I got to stop. <laughs> this is losing all of its emotional resonance here. You had you had the uh, the, the Freudian bug, I guess. <laughs> yeah. sort of strange. Yeah. But, you know, if, if you're on PC, though, you, and you have a high end, you know, setup. Holy cow, that game looks amazing. It feels truly next gen and is to that that kind of proof of concept that they introduced at E3 2018, right? Like we were all like, whoa, that looks yeah. stunning. They turned it up a notch since The Witcher. If you're on PlayStation 5 or Xbox Series X slash S, I don't know how you guys pronounce it, but the you know, it it looks next gen, but it there's some struggles there. It's running the PS4 and Xbox One version, right? Like it's it's not truly next gen. It's it's got the horsepower to do it, but it is not tailor made for those systems. And then if you're on that lower end of the PS4 and Xbox One, it's a mess. It's an mm-hmm. absolute train wreck of a release, not just in the bugs that are there, but it it's barely running that game at times. Yeah. And you and Game Informer, of course, were uh, given the game early, but only on PC, right? No reviewers, it seems, got right. the game on console. So it it does appear like they knew that there were problems with the console version. We know that the last couple of delays were specifically laid at the feet of the, I guess now previous gen console versions. They were explicit about that. CD Projekt Red had a statement saying, "Hey, uh, why why we're delaying the game is not because of the next gen or PC versions. It's because of." you know, Xbox one and PlayStation four versions. And so it seems like they were really aware of that and yet pushed forward with the release on those platforms anyway. Yeah. It seems like, you know, maybe you should have just launched PC now and, and been like, we'll be back in early 25th or 2021 with, uh, 
with an updated version, you know, we just, we just couldn't hit launch, but yeah, they pressed forward and yeah, what a mess it, it, it yeah. you know, like you said, the kind of the goodwill of, of gamers is lost a little bit on the most anticipated game. And one of the most anticipated of this generation, definitely this year's biggest game. I yeah. feel like, you know, people are, you know, they, they, they waited around for a year or, or more than a year. And what they ended up getting was something that, you know, is barely playable on those systems. Yeah. Uh, Christian, what's your take on all this? I mean, here we have CD Projekt Red, uh, I, I think one of those developers that has been um, put on a pedestal in, in a lot of ways. And this was, I think, by all accounts, a, a pretty rocky launch. It's it's uh, a game that has been anticipated so long and it looks like you know there's still even on the platforms that we say it runs well on there's still tons of bugs you know we got like uh you know assassin's creed unity or uh bethesda level bugs uh across all platforms which i guess you know it's part and parcel with how games are released especially games of this size and scope but what's your take on on how this game launched well i will get to that first your last point there it's like part and parcel with this type of game um, these large games I, to me, and maybe it's not these games I'm going to give aren't quite as big as Bethesda or um, Cyberpunk 2077. But to me, these launches, Fallout 76, stuff like that, just really makes me appreciate Breath of the Wild, a Horizon Zero Dawn, and yeah. Spider Man, even more, and Grand Theft Auto, even more. Like, Maybe my memory is, is I'm not remembering GTA five launch well enough because I was only two when that game came out, apparently <laughs> been out for forever, but like horizon zero dawn, breath of the wild, Spider-Man, and now miles Morales, like big games, pretty perfect. Like in terms of, of bugs and stuff like that. So yes, different in scope, but, um, just wanted to commend those games again. Um, in terms of this game and kind of the launch, one side point, uh, I am playing on a high-end PC. Um, and, and without spoilers, part of the stuff that I think is interesting, like Andrew's bug, I could I have not seen that, but I could see me coming across that and thinking it's a, a Eternal Darkness insanity effect. Like this game <laughs> <Yeah>. also, <laughs> this has been advertised in the marketing, but it also, it has that, right? Like you are cybernetic, there's glitches and stuff yeah. like that. So it's always like glitch or glitch. <laughs> like, what, <laughs> what am I saying? Yeah. On the Is base, it a bug or a feature? Yeah. Right, exactly. And on the base consoles, I think the, the problem kind of is how much it was advertised for those consoles. Um, there was an Xbox One console, a cyberpunk Xbox yeah. One. It came out in June, though, to be fair. <laughs> when the game was supposed to come out originally. Yeah. Imagine that, right. what that looked like. But, you know, in like the marketing, and, and, and part of that, I think, is the next-gen versions aren't ready, or current, whatever, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> versions aren't ready. But it was at E3 as an Xbox One game. It was a PlayStation 4 game um marketed for those consoles so i think it's it's a hard pill to swallow to be like well yeah but it's not like the counterpoint is like witcher 3 on switch i love it i love it does it look like vaseline yeah yeah it does but it's witcher 3 on switch and it's like eight years later and i'm like i can't believe i'm running this on switch and i have cloud saves and let's go do some side missions versus cyberpunk 2077 day and date on consoles it was advertised for 
predominantly advertised for, no other version available for console. Yeah, you can bat compat on a more powerful, you know, whatever. But that, I think, is the hiccup. And that's, I think, why it feels egregious to people. It wasn't advertised as a high-end PC game that you can get on your console, but it's not the best experience. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think that would yeah. be a very different position than what we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly doesn't seem to have hurt sales, though. Evidently, they've already made back all of their pre-production costs. Well, I think a lot of those were orders before the game. Yeah, I've, I've heard that PlayStation is actually issuing refunds, um, some select refunds for, from the digital store, which is rare for them for a game. Yeah. But I, I have to imagine a lot of those were pre-orders. And then I've also heard anecdotally um, from people playing on base systems saying it's fine. You know, like, yes, this is a big open world game. No, it doesn't look like uh, The Last of Us or Spider-Man or, um, y- you know, like uh, Gears 5, but it's fine. And and so, you know, I don't know because I have not had that experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's kind of replacing Crisis as the new does your PC play that game? You know, also it's uh, PC gamers. I think the it's memed now as the game that is, you know, crushing some some PCs and uh, I, should, I should say I think I talked about it on this show how like a game was making my PC run hot maybe it was Valhalla I told you this Jeff but yeah. when I moved one of my fans came I had two fans so it's fine but one of my fans had come disconnected so my PC runs great again now I fixed it and my PC's running hot and really <laughs> quiet now too it's crazy <laughs> uh, yeah all right. Well, uh, we will have lots more to say about Cyberpunk 2077 in the playlist. But uh, yeah, it is the big story, man. It is. Everybody's talking about it. It is one of those seismic releases where the entire video game industry is focused on one game. And I think it's going to be interesting to talk about whether it deserves that. You know, I think uh, uh, I think that's going to be I mean, it's an interesting, inter- interesting product for sure. But let's uh, get to the next story of the week. Christian, what is yours? Uh, my story of the week is Halo Infinite. Speaking of, you know, bugs and delays and stuff like that, Halo Infinite was initially scheduled as a launch title for the, Andrew, I don't know what to say. I want to say Xbox Series consoles. <laughs> okay, yeah, we can do that. I like that. Doesn't that feel good? I think I wanted to say Xbox. and I think they want you to just say Xbox. Because no one's talking yeah. about OG, and I call the other one Xbox One, but I don't know. I don't. Know. I think the whole plan is is it's just Xbox, and then that's why you have smart delivery and all that stuff. It's just it's just Xbox, and whatever one you have, it, it plays whatever version. I think that's the whole idea. It's just like generify it. I just yeah. made a word up. Generify. Generify. Uh, quick sidebar on that. I have uh, Xbox Game Pass on the PC. Do you guys have problems with like games not uninstalling? We can get to that later. This story is about Halo Infinite. And originally an Xbox launch title. That feels weird too, Jeff. It was an Xbox launch title. You can ah, play we just it. ruined everything. Now we can play talk it on your about Xbox it. One. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it got delayed. And now we have a launch window for when it will come out. And it is uh, fall, they're targeting fall 2021, um, which is a, a year delay. It, it lines up with an anniversary um, and becomes a holiday game again. But this is a sizable, um, a sizable delay. This is not the you know we're fixing these last few bugs. Andrew, is this and maybe it's colored now by the launch of um, Cyberpunk? Two questions for you: One, do you think it still launches on Xbox One? Two, 
How different of a game do you think it's going to be from what we saw? Or is this just, hey, we got to make sure that this is on a technical level, a 10 out of 10? Yeah, I think your last note is probably what's going on. And I also think it's a story of the pandemic a little bit, you know, well, not a little bit, a lot, you know, just affecting development and just what a developer is capable of with these giant games. I think Cyberpunk probably ran into that too, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, if we weren't all sheltering in place or, you know, not together as, uh, you know, especially for a development team, I think we would have had a very different product on console and, and PC, maybe less bugs, maybe more polish. And I got to just say, like, I love Cyberpunk. Like, I think that's a great game. I played it on PC first and then played it on console and went, oh, no, right? Like, we were pretty negative yeah. in that opening there. Uh, right, right. But just as a side note, I just wanted to clarify. Uh, but yeah, I think I think we're getting another year on development just to make sure it is that game that they were initially shooting for, just to make sure that... And I think it will hit on both systems. I think it'll be on Xbox One and and the next-gen Series X or the Series systems. I think we're we will see it True to what Phil Spencer was saying, like most of their first party games will be on both for, you know, the foreseeable future. Jeff, do you think it will still see this on Xbox One or do you think like Cyberpunk is kind of showing the age of of what this last gen can be? Or do you think it will maybe be a um, a Witcher 3 on Switch version of the game? Like, yeah, it's out, but, <laughs> you know, like caveat, I caveat. think this is a really interesting question, right? Because uh Microsoft or Phil Spencer, somebody said, you know, no uh, series exclusives for the first year. It's like, well, now it's not in the first year anymore. <laughs> That's an interesting <laughs> positioning. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think I think there may be a sense of betrayal, but maybe there's enough time that passes between now and then that people don't care. I, I don't know. Uh, I suspect that Andrew's right that we will still see an Xbox One version, but I think that all the attention will be on the series version and it will be that showpiece that everybody wanted it to be. I think that's what I think that's what this delay is all about. They went, oh, people want us to flex the new system and we didn't make that game. So I think it's all about adding in the bells and whistles, the shiny bits to make it really feel like the justification for having new hardware i think i think that's what i mean they're kind of explicit about that with the statement where they're saying hey uh we're gonna make it pretty you know it's um here's the here's the line uh much of the feedback we heard from the community aligned with our own views and work we were already committed to doing around things like indirect lighting material response foliage and tree rendering clouds level of detail transitions and character fidelity that is the uh, director of art management a Neil Harrison who said that. So, uh, you know, it's it's basically all about you want a prettier game. We get it. We're making a prettier game. It's going to take us a year, but we're going to do it. Uh, and I'm excited about that. I want Halo to, to be a showpiece. And it it sounds, you know, the other thing that was part of this blog post, which is what we're quoting here in this news story, uh, I think is pretty interesting. And I, I'd love to get both of your opinions on this. Um, Joseph Statton who basically returned to the company just uh, recently. He was, he was part of the original Halo uh, development uh, team at Bungie, uh, but re returned to 343 as a creative director, said uh, he has now played the entire campaign that they built for Halo Infinite. And he says, quote, my first week on the job, I played the entire inf Infinite campaign twice. I was, in a word, stunned in the best possible way by what the team had done. 
Infinite is by far the most expansive and vertical Halo world ever. Why did the team do this? Because they understand that wonder and freedom are key to the Halo experience. Now, of course, the call is coming from inside the house, right? We, he's yeah. he's raving about a game that he is now making. So take that with a grain of salt. But Andrew, what do you what do you make of that? I mean, I think I I get a little excited hearing that level of of confidence uh, being being issued by the by Joseph Staten. What what do you make of it? Well, he beat it twice in a week. I'm going to say it's too short. Uh, (laughs) They need to add more content. (laughs) Well done. Yeah. Uh, No, I I agree with you. Like, you know, you don't issue that statement unless, you know, I mean, you're you're setting yourself up down the road. You know, (laughs) I I hope he truly believes that. I hope we're getting some honesty from him coming in and seeing what the team has done. And that's great. You know, if they're building off something that he's already proud of or that the team's proud of, it's only going to get better. And, you know, that makes next year all the more exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm into it. I think the delay is good. I think it'll be fun having this be as a, a big, you know, tentpole 2021 release. And I hope the game is better for it. I think uh, uh, kudos to Microsoft. It's a weird progression that they went through of getting ready to launch it, showing it off, getting backlash from the community and going, Oh, they're right. Uh, but kudos to them for recognizing that and not putting you know, a, a calendar year, fiscal year quota in, in front of making this game as good as it can be. And I, I think that's a, the kinds of decisions we want these companies to be making. So. And Hopefully. that must have been really hard given yeah. how Halo was in lockstep with the Xbox next gen plans since right. they were kind of founded, right? Like whenever you heard about this, the X, what was it? The Scarlet, you also heard about Halo, you know, for what was it? Yeah. Two years. We, we thought, this, they're just going to be together. We're going to get this Halo game at launch. And for them to bail on those plans, that's huge. That that Yeah, and I think it would have changed the complete conversation around the console launches, right? Because the, the knock on Xbox was always, well, there's no real exclusive game at launch, right? There's no, there's, yeah. there's nothing, there's no reason to get the Xbox. And that would, I mean, yes, we'd still have it on PC as well, but that, I think that would have changed the conversation completely because now here's Halo up against Miles Morales. It's it's much more uh, everybody's bringing weapons to the fight, you know? Yeah. And yeah. their marketing, like, right, a lot of it was built around, it still has Master Chief in it, you know, whether it's Taco Bell or internal Microsoft ads. And now it's just a kind of makes you feel good about the brand. You know, it's like, oh yeah, that's part of the brand. We're going to get that. But if it was out it would have been like yeah that game's awesome you know i'm seeing this thing this thing reflected back to me i think one good other good thing about this delay especially if it's really optimized for the series xbox series uh, generation of consoles is that hopefully by then everybody that wants to buy one will be able to you know like right, right now right. Yeah. best on series x series s and only i'm making up a number here 30 percent of the people that want that console can get it the rest maybe settle for a last gen version. Um, you know that, that that leaves some sour grapes, and so hopefully that supply chain is um, built out by the time this game launches. And maybe the people that you know saved up and were only able to get one console this year can buy a. There'll be a, a bump in those Xbox sales in 2021 because everybody's like, oh, well, now I don't have to worry about buying two consoles in one year. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, you guys have left me a very, very juicy story of the week, and that's the Game Awards. Uh, the Game Awards, again, Jeff Keighley's big 
splash of uh, of game announcements, really, uh, surrounded by a, a small pattering of actual awards for games. Um, but it, you know, it's all about those huge world premieres and all all those those kinds of things. And we got plenty of them, and we're going to step through all of them. But before we do, uh, I want to just quickly run by you guys the actual uh, awards. Most notably, the fact that Last of Us Part Two uh, came out the big winner. Uh, one game of the year. Uh, what's your reaction to that, Andrew? That, that's my game of the year too. Yeah. You're getting it here first, the exclusive. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I, I love that game, Naughty Dog. Every game they make, you know, I, I I just kind of adore their the direction they put in it, the storytelling, the attention to detail, just the scale of the projects. Are, it's always impressive. And yeah, this game, I I couldn't put it down, and it was it was long. It was surprisingly yeah. long. You know, that game just kept going and going and going and. In in that, you know, it lengthening out just kept knocking my socks off. I, I was I was blown away by that game. Yeah, so were we. Uh, I mean, Christian obviously is has is tied to it in an even more uh, um, personal way because of his uh, making of the, the official podcast. But both of us uh, love that game, and uh, I think it's whatever your feelings about how they took the characters. You know, there's a lot of people that reacted in in very emotional ways to that game and it's 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 divisive in in some ways but i don't think anyone that has actually played it can deny the level of technical prowess on display i mean it is a tour de force of of design and artistry and uh it's nice to see that it won you know best uh direction uh best narrative best, best audio design best performance for laura bailey um, so, you know, it was recognized as, as being this really amazing work of art. And I think part of the reason that I hold it so highly in my esteem is because it's trying to do something that most video games aren't. And that is really rare. I mean, I think one of the things we're about to get into with the game awards is all of these game announcements and how few of them seem to be attempting to do anything we haven't already done a thousand times, you know? And I think that while, Last of Us Part Two is wrapped in conventional gameplay tropes in the sense that you're, you know, sneaking and fighting and doing things that you do in other games. It is really attempting to make you feel and experience something that most games don't. And I, I give it a lot of credit for that. Uh, Christian, I know you love the game as well. What, what game are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... It, it, spoiler. I've said it all, all year, though, right? <laughs> it is a game that uh, I was very excited for it, lived up to my hype and my expectations. And you'll hear me talk about uh, in greater detail again uh, here in a couple of weeks. Um, I don't fully understand the voting of the Game Awards um, and stuff like that and like how things are weighted and, and, and things like that. So I don't, um, I'm always interested in the nominations more so than like this one. But I certainly personally think it was worthy of all of the, that praise. And I think all of the games that were nominated, um, you know, I, I forget who said it. Someone tweeted out like anyone who sh- managed to ship a game in 2020 won an award. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. Like this year has been trying for everyone. And I've maybe said it before. It's not like, oh, we're now we're working from home. No, you're not. You're surviving a pandemic while also trying to get everything else done. <laughs> it's not, it's yeah. not like, oh, I work from home now. No, you don't. No, that is not your job. <laughs> like your job is surviving. So I, I, I think it's a real testament to every team that, that shipped a game and got them out. Um, 
and I certainly love The Last of Us Part Two. So it was easy for me to be like, they like the thing I also like, <laughs> which is yeah. fun. Yeah. Uh, and I thought the awards, you know, having to to do it in the context of a pandemic is not easy. And I think kudos to Keely and his team for putting on, I think, a very professional show that uh, looked and sounded great, even with the limitations they had of not being able to bring people to a place. And, um, you know, he, he's he, he's really doing a great job with this show, I think, uh, other than the criticism which i think is fair that it you know <laughs> it really prioritizes the game announcements over the awards themselves right it's a it's a advertising piece that has some slight award mentions but there's i mean there are sequences of the show where he's like okay now we're going to give out some awards and he's just like this game won that this game won that and this game won that and it's like well those are kind of big awards that you're just skipping over to get to the next game announcement um, so I, that would be my only criticism, but it's kind of a, you know, the nature of the beast. He's, he's building a, uh, an event more than, uh, you know, a, a state award show. So it's, it's kind of a hard thing to complain about, right? Like, yes, you're there to see what one game of the year, but it's like, no, please don't show me a game I want to play next year. <laughs> you know, like, right, right. Yeah. yeah, please, you know, just keep bombarding it. That's fine. They have a great format there. The only thing I'd knock is like, is this like Keely trying to meet every Muppet? Like where, where are we going here? <laughs> yeah. Like that segment comes up. I'm like, all right, this is like <laughs> Keely revisiting his childhood. This is what this show is really about. It's not about the awards or trailers. It's about those, those darn Which Muppets. Muppet, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was fun to see in the Swedish chef. Though, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we're going to, we're going to get into all the games that were announced and uh, we're going to do that in just a moment after I talk about our first sponsor, which is Third Love. Ah, I love when Third Love sponsors the show. My wife certainly loves when Third Love sponsors the show. She's a huge fan of their bras. And uh, that's because she she really has decided nothing else is as comfortable. It's the These are perfect fitting bras. It's a whole company built around that idea that most women, sadly, um, aren't able to get the right fit. It's because of how sizing happens and purchasing happens and the number of options that are available. And Third Love has really tackled all of those challenges. These are designed for their perfect fit. And what you do is you take a very quick and easy fit finder quiz. It's just a few simple questions. Uh, it takes about 60 seconds and you can find your perfect size. These are uh, questions that were designed after 15 million women who have taken the quiz, help them refine it. It identifies your breast size and shape, finds styles that fit your body. And it is a huge upgrade in how this is done so that you actually get the perfect fit. In fact, they have the perfect fit promise. You can exchange any bra that you don't love for 60 days. So try it, see if you like it. They're so confident you're gonna love it. They give you 60 days to return it. And then- the coolest thing about this is if for any reason you decide to return it, what they do is they wash it and give it to women in need. It's pretty amazing. They they uh, donate all of their return bras to uh, charities like in the, the San Francisco Bay Area where they're based and across the United States. And they have so far donated over $20 million in bras. So you have the confidence that even if you don't like it, someone is going to get it and uh, it'll improve their life. So why not give it a shot? The comfort and quality is second to none. 
Uh, and uh, you can uh, you can use our promo code because Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering listeners of DLC 10% off your first order. All you got to do is go to thirdlove.com slash DLC and you can find your perfect fitting bra and get 10% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash DLC for 10% off today. T-H-I-R-D-L-O-V-E dot com slash DLC. Get you 10% off. Like I said, my wife will not wear any of the bras at this point. She's a third love devotee. So uh, join in thirdlove.com slash DLC. They make great gifts for the holidays too. All right, uh, let's talk a little bit about the huge number of games that were previewed, teased, announced at the Game Awards. Uh, I mean, there's so many here that we're not going to, you know, spend time on all of them. But maybe, Andrew, do you have like a few that stood out to you? Yeah, let's pick our favorites. Let's do that. I think that's uh, a good approach there. I'm going to go with uh, a very strange name, the Callisto Protocol. Hmm. Yeah. This is the game that is sort of this looks like the spiritual successor to Dead Space. Yeah, exactly. And it's Glenn Schofield, the one of the visionaries behind Dead Space at EA. You know, he went off to make Call of Duty for a while and now he formed a new team. And yeah, I, I thought that just it's not too, you know, they, they, they hit the nail on the head and it immediately showing you exactly what it is. You see the glowing kind of indi- health indicator on the the neck of the character and you immediately yeah. think of dead space um it's not going to be dead space callisto is is a planet is a dead moon on jupiter uh, i talked to glenn after the show and he said dead moon was maybe a little too close to, to dead space but <laughs> yeah, that's a definitely title, the, but dead the moon vibe. sounds cool yeah that's definitely what they're going for is he wants to make that horror game and i think he even said at the game awards he wants to make the scariest game he can and that's just exciting to me because that's one of my favorite series from two generations ago. And it's a bummer we didn't get one this last generation because, man, yeah. those, those games are fantastic. Yeah, the idea of a Dead Space-like game with the tech that we have now in these new consoles just seems really cool. And the the trailer they showed obviously was pre-rendered, but, boy, it looked really interesting and cool. And the uh, you know the models, if, if that's an indicator of what they're shooting for, looks it is. Uh, pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's what Glenn said. He's like, I, I was like, obviously that's pre-rendered. He's like, well, you know, I can't go into too much. You know, he would not rule out that it was in engine, but he's like, that is kind of the level they're shooting for for that game. So yeah, that's going to be exciting. Yeah, we are on the cusp of some really amazing looking games. Christian, uh, what did you think of Callisto Pro- Protocol? Yeah, it's like the more I hear about it being like the scariest game ever, I'm like, well, it's just like, you know, it doesn't need to be that scary. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the second scariest. Can we just bring it down a notch? One notch, please. Like, I really liked the first Dead Space. The second, was it the second? I, it's like it kind of drifted, I think, as sequels can or, or that sophomore effort. Um, so I'm curious what this is, but uh, I have learned in my old age, there is a limit of, of scariness <laughs> that I can tolerate. Maybe it's that I play games later at night now, like that's when I carve out my time and it's like, it's midnight and like, uh, there's the branch is scratching on my window already <laughs> anyway, and I'm trying to play this spooky game, but yeah. I, I love the atmosphere they serve up. Um, I hope that there's more than just jump scares. I hope it's like suspense. And I think the first dead space did that really well, where there certainly were jump scares, things at events and stuff like that. But I think dead space also did a really good job with, um, resource management, which, 
you know, had kind of taken the back seat uh, for a time there in games. Resident Evil, of course, had it with the trunk, but the way Dead Space kind of took that to a, a, a different level and and kind of got rid of weapons, I thought was interesting too, like traditional weapons, of course. You had a, a nail gun and all these other things as you were a mechanic, if memory serves correct, or an engineer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious if this kind of continues that as well, where it's a little more atypical in who you are and and how you you survive through this world. Yeah. Do you have a pick for a, um, a favorite from the announcements? Uh, yeah, it's hard. This is, I don't want to be like a, a Debbie Downer. They all felt really far away, especially, <laughs> especially in, you know, I think COVID is going to continue to impact production um, for future games. And so part of me is like, oh, Mass Effect seems great, but so if I had to pick, things that i'm very excited about uh there would be two it'd be back for blood which is the spiritual successor as we're talking spiritual successors to left for dead um Mm -hmm. and then the new perfect dark but the new perfect dark i was the trailer they showed didn't excite me any more than i already was i guess this confirms that that's what the co not the coalition um the initiative is working on um but I don't know what it is. You know, I, I like the team yeah. they're building over there. It seems like they have some great people with great game, like some of my all time favorite games under their belts, but I'm not leaving this going like sweet. <laughs> well, but I mean, it's very, I think we got a, a view that it's very different from whatever perfect dark. Well, I mean the idea that it's a perfect dark game just kind of gives it a rub of nostalgia and familiarity, but it looks like it has basically nothing to do with any of the previous perfect darks other than it has, you know, Joanna Dark as the main character. But this this idea of it that is really the thrust of what they were revealing is that it's this eco-futurism thing, which to me, super cool. I, I like anything that's not trying to retread and is really kind of um, inventing a new vision of of the future, a new a new fictional milieu. And I it seems like that's exactly what they're trying to do is create this uh, subgenre of of a vision of of sci-fi that i think is a really compelling and immediately immediately made me go oh i'm much more excited about this game than i would be just hearing a new perfect dark is coming yeah i I, yeah i don't know like i i liked the trailer but i also i don't know what the original trailers were you know like like, yeah it's hard for me to be like because the original N64 game blew me away graphically too. And, and I don't know what like the snappy CG trailer version of that was. I'm very excited for what that team is working on. And I, I think there's that, that fine line of creating something new, but calling it perfect dark or I don't even know what perfect dark is at this point though. They're right. Like, exactly. Will perfect dark fans be upset, but then like how Are valuable perfect dark fans. Well, I don't, but then how valuable is that name? Like Andrew is this, yeah, does that help sell it more or is there something to tie it to? Like, is that title a pro or con for this, for this game? You know, I think if you ask most gamers what perfect dark is, or just say one thing from perfect dark, they could probably all name Joanna dark. Right. Yeah. And that's about gun. it. Like case who, gun and Joanna dark. <laughs> who is an antagonist from the series? What year right. was it that in? name one weapon? You know, like <laughs> yeah. I, I think, yeah. you know, I, I look back fondly on, on those games and here's a, here's a funny side story for you on N64. I was one of the playable characters in the multiplayer. Whoa. Um, when I, when I went to E3 for, uh, to cover that game, they were showing off their new facial scan technology. 
So I'm covering it and I signed stuff and they showed me how it worked. They took my, my facial image of it and I was like, oh, cool. I didn't know I signed myself into the game or anything like that. That's like, hilarious. But it, so it was me, Ken Griffey Jr. and Shigeru Miyamoto that were like real face scans. It <laughs> was like, like a joke. Me, yeah. Shigeru Miyamoto and uh, <laughs> yeah, walking yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I, it, I always kind of think of that game just as like, wow, that was a weird moment in my life. But <laughs> I think. People kind of look back on it, though, in kind of a negative light is it wasn't quite as good as Goldeneye, right? Like that was like the game that everybody loved. And then this was the next game and right. it didn't quite hit there. And then it came out on 360 as a launch title. I like the multiplayer, but boy, that was a mess of a, a, a co-op and single player game. And then the series just kind of vanished, right? Yeah. I think they would probably be better off making a new IP, especially for Microsoft, who's really kind of weighted in these three games. Like it's like everything has to be Gears of War, Halo, or it has to be something that's known like, like yeah. a perfect dark, right? Like, and they need more IP and they have all these studios making games. I was hoping this one, this new one, what did they say? It was going to be quadruple A, <laughs> whatever, whatever this a new game a. is. Yeah, I think that was like their tagline. They're making a quadruple A studio. Um, <laughs> having that be Perfect Dark, I think people are just kind of like, I'm kind of glad it's back, but I've never really loved that series. So we'll have yeah. to wait and see. Well, yeah, I feel like this is like a Prey situation. You know, it's like we're making a game. It's called Prey, too, but it has nothing to do with Prey. But remember Prey? Yeah, it, exactly. It's know, like, why are you using that name? You don't need yeah. to. Yeah. Well, I don't want to blow up your spot, Andrew, but if they don't call you to get you into this game, it's a no buy. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say that I, I I just I just read that the the they did announce the antagonist. It's this Reiner character that yeah. they're bringing back from the original game. <laughs> it's him and Ken Griffey Jr., the super villains of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um well there's there's lots of other games. Let's not uh, gloss over Back for Blood, though. I know you were excited about that. Mm-mm. Does it feel at all, Christian, like it is uh, a little late to the party? I mean, I feel like the whole industry has kind of become what Left 4 Dead was back when Left 4 Dead came out. It was a novel idea back then, but now there's lots of ways to have that exact kind of experience in games, or, or am I overstating? I think you're overstating a bit. I think the industry moved to... The, there's a lot of ways to play games with friends, right? Whether it's Rocket League or um Fortnite. Fortnite, which is everything or PUBG or you know uh, uh, these types of fallout 76 you know there's lots of ways you can get in and play with friends but i think what made left for dead exciting can still make it exciting is that it was a very tight experience that offered a, a interesting story you know through the levels could be enjoyed solo but also offered a level of replayability that made it enticing and it was short sessions right you could jump in with your friends for uh 20 minute or whatever it was run through a, a thing and and have a good experience and um and then kind of bounce and I, I think that's attractive and see that this team um or parts of it coming back to work on it i'm hoping they bring something new to the experience as well but i think there's something really fun about getting together with a group of friends and doing something that feels a little bit more than just a horde mode so to speak and i don't know if there are tons of games that are that are doing that right now yeah all right uh, I I have to say that, and I've pointed this out before on the show, but any of these, you know, even E3 packages now and, and, and situations like this where they're showing lots of new game announcements back to back, 
it really makes the games that have a different kind of art direction are trying to do something unique and different. They really stand out much more to me because, you know, I get like four or five giant slimy monster being shot in the face with a shotgun back to back. And I'm like, okay, another game where I'm shooting a giant scary monster with a shotgun. And then you see something like open roads or it takes two. And those games really stand out. And I go, wow, that looks like an experience that I haven't had before or season. Um, You know, these games that just look completely fresh and new I'm drawn to much, much more than I would, I think, even just seeing a press release for those games because they're sandwiched in between a bunch of dark, gritty stuff that kind of all blends together a bit for me. So, I mean, Open Roads is this, looks like a storytelling game, uh, which it just looks very charming and the art style looks fantastic. And It Takes Two uh, is, is built on co-op. So Christian, you know, I'm going to recruit you to play with me. Um, you have, you have to play it takes two, uh, via co-op because I guess my understanding is it takes two, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, it, it looks beautiful and charming as well. And it's like this couple, this, this husband and wife that get, uh, turned into dolls and they have to, you know, kind of work through their relationship as they play the game. And it's just, it's trying to do stuff that a lot of video games aren't trying to do. You know, I think, uh, those games to me really stand out. And I wonder, Andrew, what you think of the three that I highlighted. Open Roads, that that art style, I was like, that has to just be a cinematic, right? But I'm yeah. guessing, you know, you can't introduce a game that way and then change it to polygonal. I'm guessing that's the art style they're going for, which is stunning. And then having Carrie Russell, a fantastic actor, uh, be a part of this is is really exciting. I didn't get into Tacoma. I loved Gone Home. Mm-hmm. Tacoma, a little too convoluted in it in its storytelling for me. But I yeah, I, I can't wait to see what what they do with this one. It it really like set the tone for me, and I was like, I love how colorful and bright it is. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm on board with that. And in season as well, you know that one. I was like, wow, look at the cinematic angles they're taking here. You know, each yeah. shot is stunning. Um, Just that like that boy. Or I think it's a boy. Uh, that character riding a bicycle in the, yeah. you know, it's just like, it's so it's, it looked like a, uh, Miyazaki. <laughs> Miyazaki. Yeah. <laughs> looks, like, looks like a Miyazaki movie. And, you know, and, and these visuals, these kinds of art, I mean, we're at the point now, I think where art direction is even more important than, than, you know, pushing polygons, right. It, it we've gotten to the point where video games techno technologically are able to do pretty much whatever you want if you have the budget and it's about how you use it. And and now it's artfulness. It's, it's interpretation of how you're going to do that. So it's art direction. And I think those, these games that don't all look the same, man, they just, they just um, pop for me. Um, So I'm, I'm excited for those games. Uh, Let's talk about a couple of other things. Christian, you mentioned uh, mass effect, which was the kind of the big closer tease uh, and EA had Dragon Age 4 there. But both of those moments felt like, hey, guess we're working on it. Just wanted to make sure you know we're working on it. Um, Andrew, do you think that's enough? Do you, like just that we're working on it? Is that all we need to know? I do. Yeah, I think yeah. those are the two games people want from Bioware at this point. And it looks like they are delivering what 
what they're supposed to do. And, and in that Mass Effect announcement, it wasn't that they're going to Andromeda or trying something new with it. It was very specifically showing us at least what I saw right after Mass Effect 3. Like, here's what comes mm-hmm. next. You yeah. saw the mass relay destroyed. Uh, you saw Liara and then a piece of what appeared to be Shepard's armor. Right. They might be doing the whole search for Spock thing. I guess you could cross out Spock and put Shepard. Maybe that's what they'll call it. But yeah. I'm I'm on board for that. You know, like I loved the idea of Andromeda. It just didn't quite line up gameplay wise or story wise. But, you know, expanding their lore that way, bringing it back home after that, I think, is the right move. And yeah, I can't wait. Even if it is till 2022, 2023. You know, first we're going to get the legendary edition, the the re-releases. Yeah, uh, right. So it, it it could be a ways off, but yeah, that's exactly what Bioware needs to be doing, especially for the fan base that's hungry for that stuff. Yeah, Christian, as you said, it's, these games are far off, and, and Dragon Age Four looks like it's far off as well. But they're certainly saying the right things. Yeah, it just came at like an unfortunate time, I think, where like earlier in the week it was, uh, hey, we're leaving the studio. And then, <laughs> you know, these games are still in good shape, though, but we're, 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 we're all leaving. Um, time will tell. Time will tell. They are clearly much beloved franchises still. You know, these are also games as, uh, sorry, Andrew, I'm going to include you with Jeff and I, as olds, um, <laughs> that still means something to us. But as we talked about, I think on the PlayStation 5 kind of launch episode, Jeff, like, Astro's Playroom is somebody's first platformer, you know, like it is somebody's Mario or whatever. And the delight that that could bring to them. I mean, there hasn't, um, (laughs) sorry, Andromeda, there hasn't been a Mass Effect in a very long time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and also I think it's hard too, when these franchises are, you know, that aged to what 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 do you do is it continuing the story is it a reboot i think god of war handled that brilliantly you know that also sorry ascension um there what hadn't been a god of war in a very long time and i think they struck a really nice balance of reintroducing that that franchise and that character in a game that is fresh and new for new players that are you know whatever the age is to play that game 18 15 whatever it is right um to bring that into those gamers. And there are people now same for mass effect and, and certainly for dragon age. And there's been a dragon age a little more recently, but it's a tall task. And, and these games are a long ways out. Um, and I think Metroid prime four is a, is a similar game that seems a long way out. And, and what is that game? Cause there are certainly fans that have all the tattoos, um, you know, from these experiences that want, that have certain expectations. And then, there's also a whole host of gamers who have yet to step foot in that world. Um, I hope I hope they all knock it out of the park, but I do not necessarily envy the decisions that have to be made to to check every box. I have one more game I want to mention because my jaw was on the floor, uh, and that is a game called Crimson Desert. Yeah, what uh, was that? I, I, it looked like it looked like everything. Film? <laughs> yeah, it looked like film. It looked like uh, we've reached photorealism, I guess, now. Um, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I mean, it, it started, I think, one of the longest presentations. It was over five minutes of of in-game footage. They started with a uh, text on the screen that said, everything you're going to see is in-engine, in-game. Uh, and it started with these giant vistas that looked like nature photography, of, yeah, flight you know, simulator, fantasy. Yeah, yeah. 
And then, you know, you get down to the to the character level and it still looked nearly photorealistic. Yes, there were maybe some some low frame rate in some of the action footage that they showed. But holy moly, that game. I was like, is this what the next gen is really going to look like? Are we basically at photorealism? I couldn't believe it, Andrew. Yeah. And it every shot you're like, okay that combat looks really cool or wow, look at the facial details. And then when they showed that dragon flying through the air, like, like almost like a star Wars battle, like barrel rolling and going crazy. I was like, this can't be real. Like this just seems so huge and it's been hidden for how, like how long have they been working on this game? It looks massive. And and it is an MMO, right? Like that's what they say. I, I I don't know how it can look that much better than everything else. Like what what engine is this? What are they doing? What what voodoo is behind the scenes? I I could not believe it. I mean, I, I watch. I must have watched that five minute stretch four or five times. Yeah. I mean, the, the, there's sequences where he got like it's this electric sword, uh, and there's all kinds of crazy particle effects happening, and yet the backgrounds still look totally real. It's Wow, and the combat looks pretty fun. It's this mix of like uh, judo and and sword fighting, where he'll you know yeah. pick people up and and throw them on the ground while they're while sword fighting it. Like I've never seen that before. I'm like, what what is this game? This is incredible. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, who knows when it's coming or what it's coming to, but yeah. I'm I'm on board. I want to hear more. Christian, did you uh, were you similarly wowed? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I know how they made it. It's actually you are controlling real people. Um, is how it works. <laughs> oh, hey, you know what? It's, I'm in. Yeah. It's just LARPing. It's LARPing in front of one of the uh, Mandalorian sets is what the backgrounds are. So once I knew that, I knew that John Farber was directing it. It, it, <laughs> it really made sense for me. But yeah, it, it did. It was one of those moments where it was like, I'm going to need a new GPU. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, this is like, this is what I got my new computer for. Like that game is that's the one. Well, I'm saying you still need another new GPU. Well. Yeah, right, yeah. But yeah, it looked, it looked really pretty and, and hopefully it, hopefully it, deli- uh, yeah. Few games have made me that nervous. If that makes sense. I think the first trailer for the first division made me that nervous. I was like, I don't know. That guy's closing a lot of car doors. I don't know how they're going to be able that looks like New York. I was just there. I don't know how they're going to do it. And to be fair, the division, I think, hit a lot of those yeah, things. So hopefully this game, this game does as well. Yeah. Hey, it's called speaking, the Desert. Speaking of controlling real people, are you guys, <laughs> sorry, yeah, are you guys familiar with what's going on with escape rooms during the pandemic? Uh, I've we, heard a little bit about that where you can, you can actually do a virtual escape room, which is like somebody puts a GoPro on their forehead, right? Yeah. And just does one for you. Yeah. Well, no, but you, they become basically your hands and your eyes into that world. And then you tell them what to do and what to interact with. So you have so like funny. a zoom set up with different people, you know, controlling different real people that have all sheltered in place, you know, yet, you know, are safe. So you're not going in there. It's yeah. puzzling. We did a we did a big story on that on Game Informer, but I was like, that is actually controlling real people. That's a cool idea. Uh, I can't imagine what it's it? like for the. Yeah, we did. I didn't do it myself, but we did. We have a video up. Uh, it's the the company is called the Escape Game. If you want to look into that, and if you want to try it with friends, uh, but those are still going, and it's what a surreal thing to watch. Totally. You know, I I can only imagine. I would love to interview one of the people that does it because they're like. 
if you've done, if you're the the avatar right the the hands for somebody else and you've done the same escape room like dozens of times and you're just like hearing some idiot in your ear like go you know try the thing that doesn't work over and over and over again and you're like I know the solution to this puzzle and this this moron in my ear I mean that's what <laughs> happened if I was controlling them I'd be like no try turning it clockwise and the guy the poor guy is like, it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, but they have to act it out, right? Like, just right. What, a, what a strange thing. But just think of where that could go in the future. Like, what else oh, yeah. to apply that to? You have to jack in with your personal jack. And depending on, you know, how upgraded yeah. your character is, it goes well. Or those, it are called, those are called BDs, right? <laughs> BDs. Uh, all right. Thinking of, speaking of BDs, we, we, we got to get to the to the main event here and start talking uh, cyberpunk. But first, let me thank our second sponsor, which is native. It's my deodorant. Oh my gosh. With the holiday season right around the corner, we're all getting into the spirit. And why not enjoy not only the sights and sounds of the season, but also the scents of the season. You can update your native collection like I did with their candy cane holiday scent. I, I got the candy cane deodorant. Have to admit, was a little skeptical. But it's delightful. It's delightful. You know, Native is so creative. Native is creative with their naming of things. Almost too much so where I go, that doesn't sound like a thing I want to put as my deodorant. And every single time I'm like, this is the most wonderful thing. In fact, as I've said before, my wife keeps stealing my Native deodorant and deciding it's hers. Uh, She goes, no, no, I I like this. Um, They are... They are uh, these wonderful scents, and they during the holiday season they add new. It's actually all all times during the year they have these uh, limited edition ones. But during the holidays, they've added the candy cane, and they also have the candy cane gift set, which makes a great gift option. And uh, they're great, you know, stocking stuffers and stuff. This is the deodorant that you want because you can be confident that they never use ingredients that shouldn't be in deodorant, like aluminum or parabens or sulfates or talc. Uh, it's very few deodorants. And they've got these wonderful uh, gift sets uh, that you can use to fill out your gift options for the season. Uh, the uh, candy cane uh, holiday gift pack has deodorant, body wash, plastic-free, uh, sensitive deodorant, toothpaste even. Uh, the, the gift set has the deodorant, the, uh, a, a mini version, a full-size version, a body wash, and a toothpaste. It's great. I really enjoy Native. I know, Christian, you've been using Native as well, right? Yeah, it, it is the type of thing where I smell so delicious I want to eat myself, right? Like, it, mm-hmm. I'm like, mm, I'm not is, sure that's what they want you to say, it, but no, it's so good. It's so good. It is a real <laughs> treat in the morning to be like, I smell ready. <laughs> like, I, I smell ready for the day. It's really yeah. nice. It's great. And if you want to do what we did and make the switch to native, you can do so by going to nativedo.com slash DLC. That's native D E O. .com, the first three letters of deodorant, so nativedo.com slash DLC, or use promo code DLC and get yourself 20% off your first order. That's nativedo.com slash DLC, and promo code DLC at checkout for 20% off your first order. Like I said, great gifts, really charming. You'll, I think you'll wow people uh, that get these because nobody thinks of deodorant as being like a, a high-end or a luxury product, at least I didn't. Uh, and I think once they see it and they go, oh, wow, this is really special. So check it out, nativedo.com slash DLC and promo code DLC. Ooh, what you playing this week? Tell us. Ooh, what you playing this week? Tell us on the playlist. 
All right, it is time to talk about the games that we have been playing, and that list is is long right now, but boy, there's a big one at the top, and it's Cyberpunk 2077. Andrew, I, we were talking before the show, you said you put uh, 50 hours into the game uh, before your review, which is great. I, I read it, um, uh, you can find it on, at Game Informer, uh, and uh, I think a really wonderful look at the game. You were very positive about it so tell me tell me your thoughts uh, about cyberpunk 2077 yeah you know i gave it a review score of nine out of ten so that shows right out of the gates how much i like that game yeah you know we had that surprise launch which we on console which we just talked about that didn't go as planned or as what you know to the degree people hoped but if you are playing on pc it really does kind of live up to the hype in my opinion of entering this this wonderfully detailed city this you know that screams of escapism the second you get in there you don't feel like a connection to a real world like you do in a grand theft auto or red dead you know where you it is about place and all that this feels like you've gone down the rabbit hole to something new and uh you your people watching you know seeing the 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 citizens walk down the street looking at the cybernetic wares they have on their body and then also just this kind of crazy story that's unfolding at the same time of your character living with, you know, very much the Tyler Durden kind of thing going on of having someone yeah. in your mind. And it turns out it's, it's Keanu Reeves and he's fantastic <laughs> in this game. And he's a I constant. I want him in my mind. Get him in my mind. <laughs> he's a constant in this game. He's throughout the whole thing. Even the side missions. I was surprised he was a part of a lot of that stuff too. And he's the Keanu, you know, and love from the silver screen, right? Like, the long hair, the attitude, uh, you know, he really got into the role. You could tell and like this character, Johnny Silverhand is the name of his, his character. And, uh, yeah, I, I just thought it was fascinating and it had the depth that CD project is known for in its RPG systems, allowing you to kind of tailor the character to your play style gunplay, not the best in my opinion. And, and that I thought the guns felt fine. They, they had a nice kick to them and, and delivered results in terms of the numbers that were popping off of enemies, but the enemy AI itself was pretty easy to exploit uh, or, you know, hiding behind a railing, you know, just an, an ordinary railing, not a good tactic. Um, so it kind of fell short there, but kind of made up for it with stealth. I thought the stealth was really good. And, and that's where you really got to kind of get into the, the cyberpunk angle of it, of you're hacking grenades in people's pockets, having those detonate on them without them knowing or turning off cameras or messing with their own cyberware. I thought all that stuff was awesome. and. It adds up to just this this wonderful uh, sci-fi story and experience. Yeah. I mean, it is an immense game, and uh, I certainly have not played it as much as you have. But, Christian, I'm, I'm curious, as, as you know, I think, what, about 10 hours in? What's your feelings about the game? Yeah, I am. I am ten hours in. I don't know how much of that it tracks while I'm in the pause menu adjusting settings and going like, "What does it look like, <laughs> like this? What does it look like like this?" I haven't, you know, I haven't seen the title screen yet. I'm, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, well, actually, the title screen is a, several hours into the game. Yeah, so it's, it's like three or four. Possible. Yeah, it is yeah, several hours in. Uh, but I have, I have seen it. I, I'm yeah, ten, a little over ten hours into the game, um, and playing on a, a high end PC, um, and was provided a code for the game. Um, I think because this was not my game of the show past E3s, right? This has never been my most hyped game. You you weren't a Witcher 3 guy either. 
I, I like Witcher 3. I, I came into Witcher 3 late um, on Blood and Wine is where I really experienced that game. I own it on like everything now. But yeah, I was not like when Witcher 3 launched, like they did it um, kind of moment. But I also, yeah, I wasn't carrying those expectations over to this game. It wasn't, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm all over the place right now. But I could see how someone that loves Witcher 3 looks at this and is like, this is not the Witcher 3. Um, I'm not that person. And so maybe I came in with low expectations or different expectations, um, but I'm blown away by it. Like I am lost in the details of this world. Like there are moments on these cars, for example, where they don't have rear view mirrors. It is a camera that is mounted on that, that side flare on like the a pillar or wherever it is on the car. Um, as some cars now have that as well. So it feels very near future tech. And then on that arm that sticks out for where the camera is, there are warning stickers that are very realistic warning stickers about what they are, like an equivalent of objects in the mirror are, you know, are larger than they appear. And that type of detail is everywhere, everywhere in the world to the different patterns of a worn down leather sofa in a dive bar versus a pristine leather sofa and something that's more upscale or something that appears to be a vinyl cover in a mid-range restaurant you know, that's trying to be this, that, or the other, the squeak of someone getting in and out of a booth, the sound it makes depending on how big that person is or, or what they're doing. And like when this game really wants to stun, it, it, it absolutely stuns and blows me away. It feels next gen in all those ways that Andrew was describing. Um, I have not chosen to fast travel at all yet, um, which means I see, I have not seen a single load time in the game. And this city is massive, but I call my car or my motorcycle, I hop on, I drive around, I get lost, and I go to where I'm going, and I'm going over freeway overpasses. And Andrew said, it is not, oh, here's the comedy store. I'm in LA, ha ha ha, where's my house? You know, or whatever it is. It's this new city, but it feels like a city, like the urban planning that I think went into it for this, this chunk of a map that I'm playing in. And Night City feels fully realized where I, I don't like come across a dead end road, you know, like this doesn't go anywhere. It's like, oh, well, this tees off because it is uh, an underpass under a freeway. And then this is where a um, this air, this a part of town is here because of where it's built and in relation to this. And then I come over here over this freeway bridge into this higher level. And there's these upscale high rises and, and these types of establishments and all of this stuff. And then. There's a, a footbridge to allow pedestrians over the busy street that lies below. And it, it really blows me away. And the moments where you have these cinematic moments, the critical path moments of, of narrative where you're talking to these characters, and it very much feels, you know, next gen with all the ray tracing on and the reflections of this neon soaked city happening in the background. It, it is it is just jaw dropping. I have seen more kids with red mohawks than I thought I'd ever see in my life uh, wandering the streets. Like some of those open worldy uh, NPC moments still feel like a version of that game that I've played before where every city block, there's a kid with a red mohawk, like that character model. Um, or I think there's a, a person with like a, a red singlet that I see everywhere as well. Or um, NPCs doing NPC type stuff. Uh, like at a restaurant, this poor server kept coming over and trying to take the order of someone who was eating a hamburger the whole time. And like, there's no eye contact. It's like clearly just two AI scripts that don't gel together. You know, like, why is this happening? Well, this is happening because this person needs to come by and 
that's not how it really would be. So that kind of pulls me out. But like, you know, you walk into a restaurant and there's a, uh, uh, or like a nightclub and there's like a chain beaded curtain that comes down that parts as you walk through it. I remember in Prince of Persia, Sands of Time, like the fabric ripples, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. you know, and I'm having those moments with this, with this, this game and the tech and you sit in a chair and it's metal and you, I feel like you feel it. And I think the first person perspective does a lot for me for that as well, where it, it brings me into this world that I am seeing and experiencing it. And I know Jeff, we texted about this. We're like, I am blown away by the commitment to the level of detail for V's outfits for a game that is 99% in first person. Yes, I can look in a mirror. Yes, I drive in third person. Um, But like, I'll put on a three, like a a three quarter length sleeve shirt that I can barely ever see in my first person model. But when I look down and position it right, like sure enough, all the stitching is there. Like this shirt is faithfully recreated in a way that I never see it, but it's all there and I can change my outfit whenever I want. And all of this stuff is, is, is replicated on the screen for me when I, when I go to check and that level of detail is, is stunning. Um, I, I do think parts of the game are, are problematic. Um, and then parts are maybe just scary where it doesn't feel that near future to me. Like it's the overt sexualization of everything. Like, I don't think we're that, far from that stuff and that makes me sad like i don't know and again only 10 hours in i'm not sure if if the narrative kind of comments on this or not but like what is commentary and what is just a sign that exists and then you say what's commentary it's not if you don't comment on it (laughs) you know like and a lot of that stuff has been talked about in, in detail um, and I, I don't know where I land on it yet. Personally, it does seem like some of this stuff is just like edgy, but it's commentary. Is it, is it, or is it just edgy? And then how does that edginess make the player feel? And, and what are you trying to put out into the world as your art? I don't have an opinion or an answer on that yet. Um, I'm concerned that some of it might be more problematic than I'd like. Um, but I find myself just getting lost. And I think another thing, and I've been talking a lot, I apologize. Another thing that I think I'm drawn to this world is how CD Projekt Red seems to be willing to undo everything they've done. You know, it is not, it is not the Witcher. It does not progress the way I would say a regular um, massive RPG does. Uh, And it takes place in the future. And my phone is constantly blowing up. I'm not, I don't need to go like, from point A to point B to go see this person and then drive back to this point to go see this person, much the way uh, Destiny Beyond Light is, where it's like you pretty much have two quest givers for the campaign part of that game. And they're in the, uh, how's the map? Southern portion of the map. And everything you do is in the northern portion. And it's like, you completed it. Now get on your sparrow and go drive for 20 minutes to go get another mission. You did it. Now get back on that sparrow. You're going North baby. (laughs) Like here I'm driving around and I get a text message and I can ignore it. And then sometimes the NPC will text me again and be like, Hey V what's up. Do you not want this? I'd be like, okay, I got to let me look at this. Hey, you got to do this. Go do this thing. Okay. I guess I'll do that. Oh, I'm right next to that place because I'm out in the world. I don't need to go visit them. I can, I can just call people up on the phone, like call this person. Okay. Is that the solution to you, for, Christian? Because I know you've complained before or, or you know, you, you, you have bounced off of games that 
overwhelm you with icons on a map. Um, it's one of the things that you, you know, you you don't care for. And this game certainly bombards you with icons on a map, but is what you're describing the, the solution to that in the sense that you're not on your map, you're more, you know, interacting more organically with what to do next. Yeah, I I definitely have opened the map a few times and gone, Oh no, 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 no. (laughs) Closed it Cause it is very overwhelming. It's like ripper dock here, this over here, this over here. I think it, you know, we, we, joke about ubisoft games and their icons on a map but this like says hold my beer to the oh, ubisoft game. <laughs> you know yeah. that's that's one of the most freeing things about it though and and you know developers like to serve up everything they can you know whether you're catching uh ben franklin's paper in assassin's creed you get a tutorial <laughs> for that right yeah in this game it's very much like you're on this critical path as v before you meet johnny silverhand and you're just kind of going point to point but if you bring up your map you see all these icons everywhere. Like, and they're yeah. not just like, you know, like you said, a ripper dock or a store. It's like side missions are everywhere already. And these, and as you're walking, you'll see question marks appear and you're like, whoa, they are already just letting me kind of go off the beaten path before I even see the title card and lose myself in this world. I, I thought that was such a cool design that they had so much great content that they didn't have to serve it up, right? Like you could just discover it. There's parts of that map you may never see if you just stick yeah. to the critical path. I don't know if, I, I certainly think that's an interesting decision. I don't know if practically it worked for me as well as it seems to have both for both of you guys, because I, you know, there's a moment where I like opened up my journal for the first time. There's a tab in the menu that's journal, right? Which is basically your quest log. And I, I ignored it because there's no real point at which the game says, open your journal. But I opened yeah. my journal and I looked and it said side quest. And there's like, two dozen of them. And I was like, when did I get all these side quests? Like, where did they come from? And I think, honestly, I think the onboarding of this game is not great. I mean, I appreciate what you both are saying about it not imposing itself on the player and letting the player sort of discover as you go. But I I didn't feel welcomed into the game and I did feel compelled because that critical path stuff is constantly the next big exclamation point on your HUD, right? It's the next uh, waypoint that it's, it's leading you to. And I do think it's important to get to the title card. I get to Johnny Silverhand, which is important to push through. And it's several hours before you do that. It's like two to three hours before you do that. And that's without going any, doing any side stuff. Um, For me, the game really didn't feel great until Keanu shows up. Uh, and I think it's because that onboarding felt a little clunky. It didn't, I mean, there's like these, these weird tutorials about stuff that I know how to do from any game. You know, it says here's tutorials about how to shoot and how to crouch and sneak. And it's like, I know that from any game, give me a tutorial for the stuff I don't do in any other game. Like show me what your systems are about. Like all this cybernetic stuff just felt really overwhelming because I wasn't brought into it. The hacking, I like, it was very poorly explained how the, ha- like the hacking has become really enjoyable to me. I love hacking mini games and in, in video games. Uh, and I, I wanted to understand it, but the game really didn't provide any way into that. All of it felt, I don't know. I, I did not have the experience that you both did of feeling like, wow, there's just so much to discover. It, it felt like 
I think those are fair criticisms and I, and I share them. Um, I think I just kind of got lost in the detail again, playing on a, a very high end PC of like appreciating this world and, and this near future um, environment that I'm in, like the stuff that it does teach you how to do, you know, there's very early on, you sit down with an AI and it's like, here's how you do these things. And there's like four of them or whatever. And then other times prompts come up on screen that are gone before I'm able to yes. read them. And like, there's no way to get them back. Yes. There, and, there was a couple of times I'm like, oh, I need to read that again. Cause that didn't, I did not get that. And it's like, there's that exists gone. nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and you know, like, again, Andrew mentioned like the stealth stuff and how rewarding that can be. I haven't put tons of time into that because again, it's like, I got this skill tree and I got these perks and I got this, but what does that do? How do I do that thing? What is this thing? It's like, I, I can sting this. I'm making these up. It's like, you can scan this person, hack them. Well, you can sting them, stig them, blig them, hit them, blop them. And I'm like, what are, I can sit here and read these and time it. is, it. Yeah. Time, it. time yeah. is paused. Meanwhile, the NPC I'm with is like, yo V, we got to move. And I'm like, what? <laughs> blop them. I don't, I did the blop or, or what I'll do is take out my gun and blow them away. Um, like there are those, those moments where it's like, I don't know necessarily what I'm doing. And it seems like V does, right? Like the character <laughs> I'm role playing, um, she's very calm and collected and acts like she's, you know, it's like, this is my moment. Like I hear Eminem, you know, like it's in the background, like hoodie up. I got one shot. Here we go. And me as a player, I often don't, necessarily feel that way it's like oh gosh what's gonna happen here there's a security camera someone's hacking me i didn't know people could hack me how do i prevent them from hacking me like yeah there is that stuff um but i think i'm i'm looking past that because of the other things that i think that this this game is doing um and the other two points i'll make and these are pros and cons for different people one i find this world to be very oppressive it I, I need to put the controller down. It is vertical. It is scary. It is, like I said, I can see claustrophobic us. Claustrophobic almost. Yeah, claustrophobic. Yeah. I can see us getting to this world. People don't seem happy. It is gross. It is overly sexualized. You're bombarded with ads everywhere. Like everywhere is basically gas station TV and it feels like it. It feels real enough to feel like that, but gross enough to, you can't turn it off. Like you're in the back of a taxi and it's just like, Oh, here's that. And you're just like, Oh God, I, I can't do this. Um, and the other point is there are critical path missions and some side missions I've played that if you had shown me this, this vertical slice, and then at some moment said in the skipping ahead in the interest of time, I would have been like, Oh, this is a new call of duty trailer. This looks dope. Like yeah. it is, it is action packed. The, some mm-hmm. of these things, and to Andrew's point, the it's first scripted. person, yeah, scripted. Uh, the first person gunplay does not feel as good as Destiny or Call of Duty, right? It's not. It doesn't have that feeling, and so it's both open and overwhelming, and then also at times very guided, but yet still having you do things. It's like push X to sit. Well, why do I need to push push X to stand? Push X to turn left. Push, and I was like, what is push X to mourn? Like, what am I doing? Like, yeah, very yeah, valid. I, yeah. I, you know, I, my sort of general thoughts on the game, I think I'm much more conflicted about it than either of you are. And I think I do carry a lot of baggage from the Witcher three, right? Because the, the moment that I had sitting in that dark little meeting room on the second floor of E3, however many years ago that was when they first showed it, scanned your face, made you the villain. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. Um, I walked out of that going, oh, 
this is not what I thought they were making. Right. And that's on me. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to impose my expectations on a thing to the point where it's unfair. Right. It's, I really thought it was going to be a cyberpunk skin on the Witcher threes template. Right. And the, when the Witcher three came, I mean, even the Witcher two was an amazing game. I love the Witcher two, but the Witcher three, when it came out, felt like, oh my gosh, somebody figured out third-person action RPGs, right? And you've seen that the industry went, oh, that's how you do third-person action <laughs> RPGs. And basically, every third... I mean, Assassin's Creed lifted liberally from, from Witcher 3, and I think to the benefit of that franchise. I love the Assassin's Creed franchise now because of what it took from The Witcher 3, right? They That is the goodwill that I found in CD Projekt Red. The reason I elevated them to the point where I could not wait for the next project is because the systems they put in place for the Witcher three, the innovations on that genre that made it really coalesce for me. Yes. Still still the best missions in any RPG. I think so. You know, just the quality that went into them. Sometimes you go on a side mission, it'd be like eight hours. You're (laughs) you're just like, Whoa, but, but you're on this great narrative thread. Like I thought the writing and, uh, just the the detail that they put into those side missions was just as good as the main campaign, and I think yeah. that's something they do with with uh, Cyberpunk as well. Is you have side missions that are the same quality as the main content. Like nothing feels like it's kind of phoned in. It all it all feels like it belongs, you know, a part of that same thread, which I think is fantastic. Well, I think they even went farther on, in that direction because, as we've pointed out, and a lot of reviewers have pointed out, you can main path this pretty fast right in a game that was like gonna be hundreds of hours you can main path it in in 2025 but that's not really what it's about right that the i think they went farther uh, some reviewer i should know to credit them is this is not an original thought but i think it puts it very well uh most video games are um structured like a tree where you have this trunk of the main path and you have branches you can go off and do fun things and this game cyberpunk 2077 is structured like a bush where like every side thing you can go off is it feels just as weighty as the trunk there's no trunk it's just all that well the content, trunk is very right? short all things considered it, right like, yeah, yeah yeah but, yeah, but yeah. everything feels at equally impactful and important so kudos to them for that but the point i was trying to make with bringing up witcher 3 is that i expected or hoped that cyberpunk would kind of similarly galvanize it's systems in a way that made me appreciate them that, that took it to a new level. And what I did not anticipate, excuse me, what I did not anticipate was how much this game would feel like Grand Theft Auto, for example, or Call of Duty. Uh, and I'm not a huge fan of Grand Theft Auto or Call of Duty at this point. Um, and so I think ultimately its first impression was kind of, a disappointment for me because it really lifts from Grand Theft Auto a lot. You know, it feels like a first person Grand Theft Auto when I first started playing it. And it, not only just in the way, it, you know, the, the systems work, not only just in the, the, the gameplay style, but also the cynicism of Grand Theft Auto is really present in this game. And that's one of the big turnoffs I have for Grand Theft Auto is how cynical a world it is. And, you know, obviously this property, Cyberpunk, is kind of 
at its core, a cynical view of the world, right? It's, you know, there's, it was created at a time when that vision of the future was kind of novel and it didn't feel as <laughs> inevitable as, as it seems now. But, you know, like Christian was pointing out, it, it does the world itself as spectacular and realized as it is. It, it doesn't feel like a great place to be. It doesn't, you don't feel good being there. To add on to that, I think what makes it equally scary for me is that some characters do seem very happy there and they seem like people I don't like. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, yeah, the, the people that are doing well are the ones you just wish weren't doing well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, 10 yeah. hours in, maybe it changes. The other thing, and sorry to, to interrupt Jeff if you weren't finished, but to make sure we get to it, and Andrew, I'm curious without spoilers if you can, mm-hmm. but The Witcher to me, very early, I knew uh, Geralt's path, right? I I don't know V's, like, or maybe I don't like it. Maybe, maybe that's I don't it. like him, or it's a him for me, but for her, yeah. for anybody else. Yeah, Geralt, I don't like, like that character. It's, like, he's not... It, yeah, I'm mistreated. I'm kind of, there's like X-Men vibes to it, right? Like I'm the mutant that is looked down upon and this world is not good. So Witcher certainly is not a good world either, right? There are problems in it. Um, but here it's like, even you mentioned Grand Theft Auto, like most of the times those protagonists I liked, like mm-hmm. in the open world, I would do stuff that like doesn't match their character. <laughs> like, you know, th- yeah, they're in a bad spot. And in GTA five, there are some characters you play as I do not like, but for the most part, it's like, I see what this is. V I, I don't know. I, Andrew, I don't know if you can comment on that without spoiling things, but I am, I'm curious and I'm not necessarily hooked by V's story yet. Other than that, they're the character I'm playing as. You'll get to know V a little more as the game goes on. The ending really kind of gets into this character's head, uh, in interesting and, very scientific ways uh, or sci-fi ways, I should say. It's more about Johnny Silverhand, the the beats that are interesting. You'll get more of his story as it goes along and and what happened to him and where he wants to be. You really kind of latch onto that. But I agree with you guys. I, I didn't like V. I put that in my review. Um, you know, there'd be things where this is a game where they give you dialogue choices where it'll be like, I don't think that's a good idea. So you're like, yes, that's what I want V to say. You'll click that and he'll be like, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. Also, your mom sucks. And you're like, why did he, <laughs> yeah. why did he just say that? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. And it's always kind of grim, dark with, with this character uh, or edgy. Like you said, uh, there's a lot of kind of set dressing. It doesn't really mean anything. Uh, you know, some of the content just made me uncomfortable that had to do with V and the way this character would interact with the world or wouldn't, you know, like just wouldn't interrupt certain things that, you know, you as a person would be like, no, this can't stand yet. They don't give you yeah. that option. Uh, I think that kind of stuff is a little disturbing in, in its design and, and kind of makes V very unlikable. Um, you know, just, you know, you, you want to rally behind this character because it's supposed to be you, right? You're, you're shaping this character. You're but, role playing. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of the choices are just, are just, yeah, you just don't want to do any of them, but you have to pick something. There was a moment last night when I was playing, where I walked up to a uh, like a, a food stand that was on the street, and there was an exchange happening where there was these two thugs, these two uh, criminals that were shaking down the the owner of the food stand, and they were like, "Oh, we're going to come back and give you money." And I saw that they were like targets, you know, they were active as targets, and uh, they had weapons on them. And I'm like, "I'm going to save this guy. I'm going to save this dude." 
who's trying to just trying to sell food, you know, I'm going to take down these two thugs. And so I went up behind them and I, and I, um, nonviolently took them down, uh, snuck up behind them and nonviolently knocked them out, both of them. And the game didn't register the fact that like the the guy said nothing to me and thank you which i I kind of expected like i was like oh this is clearly set up for me to say this guy he did not acknowledge that i did anything the only thing that happened is that the like 14 npcs that were standing around the food cart all cowered in fear of me i was like "You (laughs) you were just watching these two guys with shotguns shake down this dude i go up and non-violently take them out and you're scared of me i was like oh okay um but so ultimately, my 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 sort of macro thoughts about the game mm-hmm. are: I really didn't find the fun until there's a there's a moment like after they introduce Keanu, who by the way is introduced in a super cool way, like yeah. really cool. Like they know they knew that character, they knew what they had with Keanu, and they were like, "We're going to make sure this is super cool." But it doesn't happen for a while, you know. And, and I really recommend, at least from my perspective kind of mainlining the 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 story until you get to Johnny Silverhand and then after that what happens shortly after that is like the game takes away your car right they take away your car and you have to go reclaim it or get a different car um and so the car you know the car like your horse in Assassin's Creed or Witcher you can summon at any time which makes a little less sense with a car i guess although we have you know Teslas do that now, so I guess it does make sense. Anyway, uh, you can summon the car, and I was using that a lot, right? I was basically mainlining the the quest early on, the main quest, and it really did feel much more like a Call of Duty game than a role-playing game. I was just like going from big action set piece to big action set piece, just mowing down fools with weapons, and just felt like, man, this is Call of Duty. Yeah. But when they took my car away, and because I'm not smart i didn't go do the reclaim your car mission right away i just kind of kept doing other main story stuff and other things i was on foot and all of a sudden i didn't have the option to summon my car and i also didn't want to like grand theft auto a car because just like grand theft auto you get you know the 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 fuzz after you you get you get notoriety and they start attacking you and they will do it very very fast like drones summon and i was like this isn't fun i'm not doing that so basically, I just started walking from place to place because that's all I could do. And that's when I discovered the fun. Like, that's when the game opened up for me. I went, oh, my gosh, this isn't just beautiful set dressing. There really is interesting stuff hidden in nooks and crannies in this world. I would come upon things like I described with that uh, food vendor much more interesting things like little nooks and crannies of, of activity happening where if I step in and fight off the bad guys or, you know, clean up the streets in some interesting way, that isn't even a quest. It's not even on the map. It's more like, you know, in Spider-Man when you, you know, there's just a crime happening and you can stop it. I would, I would be rewarded. Like my street cred would go up and I'd get XP and I was like, Oh, and there's stuff to find. I went, Oh, this world is, vibrant and interesting and it's not just something i'm seeing through the windshield of a car as i move from place to place but i think that that it took me being forced to sort of see it on foot level before i even understood what they had built here and i just don't think the game kind of unfolds in a very elegant way i don't think it it reveals itself and maybe that's cool maybe the discovery process is more interesting for some. It, it sounds like it was for you guys, but 
I don't know. I, I'm 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 a little more conflicted about the game. Like like you said, the gunplay isn't great, but there's a ton of it, and it sort of feels like the most efficient way to do things is gunplay. At least at the start, I'm getting more into hacking. I'm getting more into stealth as it goes on. But the, I just think the first few hours of this game are not the best, uh, and it 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 really takes moving past into like the five six hour mark for me to have really even found any of the fun. Sure. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think it also shows it might be designed for two audiences, whereas The Witcher was just like RPG nuts, you know, mm, spend yeah. 200 hours here. This one, it seems like, okay, if you stick to the main path, you can kind of get that Call of Duty or single player experience and be done, you know, story driven, be done in 15, 20 hours. But then also those Witcher fans, you know, we have 200 hours of content for you as well, you know, on on the side, yeah. if, you, if you play it the way you played Witcher. So, yeah, I think it, I think it does kind of serves both, but is better as kind of that RPG experience than just this kind of flighty single player game. There's yeah. a, a moment very early in the game, um, very early in the game that I think could be a whole game. And I think it might be Jeff's game of the year if it is like there is a moment early in the game that is unplayable and it is a montage and everything oh, that yeah. happens in that montage and the things that I think lead like the moments between those moments. Like, I really think that's the game you'd want Jeff. Like it looked awesome. Like I was like, they're skipping all this. Like I was wondering if they were like showing me previews of all the <laughs> stuff I was going to experience in the game, actually in that that's moment. Usually, I was like, that's usually the first game, you know, like that's that yeah. season one of a show. Um, and I found it again, really interesting that like, all that was there and skipped and again, 10 hours in. So I don't know, but like right now it seems like y- they pay it off, but not for me yet, at least in the way with the weight that I would expect it to like it, there's, it, it, there's interesting decisions. So, I, you know, like I said, I, I need to finish the game because right now I'm like, I hope, I don't know, maybe not. Maybe I leave it going like, Oh, it, you know, I really enjoyed it, but, um, but yeah, I was very surprised by that. It was like, here we go. And then it's like, yeah. oh man, okay, here's the repercussion for that. And now here we go again. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. So Andrew, you've already indicated that Last of Us Part Two is your game of the year. Uh-huh. Uh, you gave this one a nine. So clearly you like it a lot. I did. Where yep. do you think it, it, it ranks? I mean, we were talking, we kind of set up this whole conversation as a referendum on it being this, you know, seismic release. Do you think it, it lives up to its uh, that moniker. Do you think it it it's deserved to be played by as many people as it is, or do you, or do you think there are other games that outshine it? There are other games that outshine it for sure. A lot of them this year, but in that same breath, I think you know the hype behind this, just the vision behind it. It's it's a game everybody should play and experience for themselves. Because you might be like me and just you know fall in love with this world and and the side content and just want to do as much of that as you can. That said, it is not consistently great, right? Like mm. like a Last of Us or a Ghost or a Hades, right? Like I think those are much better games. Even uh, Immortals: Phoenix Rising. I uh, I don't know yeah. if you guys have played that. I adore uh, that game. So do we. I, as I was playing Cyberpunk, part of me was like, I kind of wish I was just playing Immortals: Phoenix Rising right now. But yeah. But you know, maybe start with those games because CD Projekt to get this game where we want it to be and where they probably want it to be, it's going to take time. And The Witcher wasn't fantastic out of the gates either. You know, that took years to get where it's at now uh, mm-hmm. and, and be, you know, this masterpiece. I think Witcher was in better shape on day one. 
but maybe maybe you want to wait and play cyberpunk 2077 when they release the the ps5 and xbox series x patches right the the free update that's going to truly make those the next gen versions and i think those will get to the level of the pc and hopefully by then all the bugs are, or a lot of the bugs and, and, you know, glitches are, are ironed out the unintentional ones, right? They get rid of that right. stuff and, and make <laughs> the, make the game that, that we were all hoping to get. Cause right now it is, you know, it's, it's a fun ride, but it's a rough ride. Yeah. Um, Christian, I want to ask you that same question, but there's two, two quick points that I wanted to make. The first is playing this game also made me wish for a new Deus Ex because I think Deus Ex systems wise like pure systems wise does almost everything better than cyberpunk cyberpunk creates a more interesting vibrant world a denser more open world certainly than anything that deus ex even remotely got to but from a moment to moment decision place deus ex i think is superior like the way that i can tackle nearly every challenge in a deus ex game from a variety of angles just doesn't seem to be present here like there's right. there are options but not like what deus ex which was truly trying to create this role playing system where you could take that do and talk your way out of things or or hack your way out of things in in wildly different ways and cyberpunk seems to kind of hint at that but only not quite get there and uh, so I think, you know, Deus Ex in a lot of ways is a lot better than this game. Yeah, I think Deus Ex had it where it was like every scenario can be completed in four ways. You know, yeah. gunplay, stealth, hacking, or like you said, conversation. You know, like yeah. every scenario they, they kind of applied to, you know, the buildings you go into, the mission you'd take on. Whereas I think Cyberpunk is more freeing in its design where, yeah, we just want this to be a shootout on the highway. That's all this is. Yeah. It's a big set right. piece moment. Those are the kind of things you wouldn't get in in the Deus Ex games, but I agree. Like you know, sometimes it's like, boy, there's just a lot of gunplay going on right now. Like I really want to try to hack, but these cyber ninjas, you know, I, I really can't do anything other than just shoot them. You know, like right. um, yes. just given where my character build is at that point. So yeah, I think I think Deus Ex. You know, I like that design a lot, and um, we'll see. You know, they they have more content coming with you know, expansions, which will probably be sizable, like blood and wine that Christian brought up earlier. Uh, Maybe they'll lean more into that. I I, I hope they do. Yeah. Uh, My last point, and I think this is informed specifically because of the game awards. And we saw, you know, Laura Bailey winning that uh, VO award is I think the VO in this game is really uneven. And I think it points to how VO is recorded in, in video games. And I think what you're seeing with uh, Sony Studios is that they have recognized and embraced the fact that when you have actors acting like they act, you get believable performances. (laughs) Why do you say that? (laughs) I I, I mean, Keanu's great. And there are other performances of Jackie, the actor who plays Jackie. Very, very good. I think the actor, at least the male actor that I chose for my V... Uh, much like my complaints with the Witcher is I feel like that performance is very flat and uh, not particularly evocative for me. And I think it's because what I hear, and this comes from, you know, me who I've done a lot of VO for video games. I know how it's done. So maybe I'm a little biased or I can see it in my head, but I know that they had a, a, a guy looking at a sheet with all the lines he needs to say and reading them. 
right? And recording them, not interacting with another actor at any point, right? And you hear it. You hear it in a lot of these performances where the emphasis is on the wrong syllable or the, you know, the, the, there's no interchange. There's no human connection. Whereas something like a Last of Us or even Spider-Man uh, or God of War, you hear it sounds like these characters are actually talking to one another, one another because the actors actually were. And I think that's um, something that I hope the industry understands going forward and moves more to embrace like the Sony studios seem to have done. I feel like in cyberpunk, at least for me, if I pick the answers, if I go through the conversation, there's a way I can go through the conversation where it does flow, but that's not often the way I go through it. Cause I want to get all the information. So it does have that moment where it'd be like, Oh, that was a wild move there, Bill. <laughs> yeah. Tell me what I need to know. And I'm like, Oh wait, okay. I, I understand that. Like my exit no, it, phrase is often different than like the tone of the conversation I was just having, or I'm having a light conversation. And then I'll hit like the, just tell me what I need to know. And it's like a knife in a hand. Tell me what I need to know. Dang it. And it's like, yeah, oh. the, you make a good point in that the games that I was referencing as being the, you know, the best version of it don't often have the branching dialogue choices. So there is the benefit of letting actors act because it's one script instead of six different versions of the same conversation going. I recognize that's much more difficult, but I also think we can do better than this, I think. So, all right, we're already running long. I know there's a lot more games to talk about. Uh, Andrew, did you want to mention anything else from your list? You mentioned Immortals Phoenix Rising. Uh, Both Christian and I love that game. Is there anything else that you want to talk about from your uh, list? Boy, yeah, I mentioned a lot of them. Uh, You know, Assassin's Creed is great this year. Uh, I love that series. You know, I always get that itch every year, you know, for that and and to play a Call of Duty, right? Like, it's just like part of our annual pilgrimage as as gamers you know going throughout the year moving from piece to piece and sure. and uh yeah those I, I love those games and then also ori and the will of the wisps is is yeah. just a beautifully made you know not just visually but just a beautifully made platformer i think totally. I, I think people need to play that i agree uh I, I we're in this wonderful uh, uh overwhelming abundance of riches now r- with the end of the year where you know, I'm torn. I'm pulled in all these different directions. Do I want to play more cyberpunk? I do. Uh, every moment I'm playing cyberpunk, do I kind of wish I was playing Immortals Phoenix Rising or Assassin's Creed? Kind of. But if I was playing those games, would I wish I was playing cyberpunk? Maybe. It, it, they're all so big and expansive and you can get lost in these worlds. Even Immortals Phoenix Rising. Like, I love getting lost in that world. There's so much to discover and just go off the beaten path and find a cool thing. Um, You know having multiple worlds to get lost in feels a little <laughs> overwhelming at this point, you know, and you get lost between which world to pick, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, that, 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 yeah, go ahead. The game I wanted to put on my list, but it actually came out kind of September, I think of 2019 was children of Morta. Did you guys play that? Oh, that was my game of the year last year. Oh, okay. My single game of the year last year. Yep. That was I didn't it. play that till like January or February and I was kicking myself because that deserves to be on, you know, top 10 list and held up as so one good. of the best games of 2019. So if you didn't play that, obviously the listeners here, you've already probably banged that drum, but you know, for people that uh, maybe are listening for me, like play children of Morta. It's fantastic. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. It's uh it's a, such a good game and I think it's on switch now. So uh, I put it on PC, but I think it's out on switch. Uh, which is a great platform for that too. Uh, Christian, uh, do you want to mention anything else? We're kind of. Yeah, I don't need to be long on either. So it'll be quick. Um, 
it's out now for everybody on on Game Pass, and I because of when embargoes, I wasn't able to talk about it early. But I did receive a review code for Unto the End, uh, which was shown. Uh, I think it was at E3 showcase for Xbox. Um, and, on Game Pass now too. Yeah, it's on Game Pass and uh, and Steam as well. And this is a game that you know the shorthand version is like a side-scrolling Dark Souls or something like that. Like they advertise it as um, it's unforgiving. The systems are all there. It is about exploration, playing with them, figuring them out, like get rid of your expectations and come play this game. And it is beautiful. I love you talking about art direction earlier. It is beautiful. I love the art direction for this game. I love the, the sound direction for the game, the score behind it. It's like minimalist, but it sets the mood really well. It is spooky. Um, not in like a resident evil or dead space style way, but like, what's on this next screen kind of thing. Cause you will die very quickly. Um, and the combat seems like it, it is, uh, it is what it is, you know, like you, you got to parry, you got to learn one, one shot will kill you, but one shot will kill them kind of thing. I'm exaggerating a little bit. It'll take more than one shot, but you know, it, you, you got to hit your moves, right? Um, I think that there's a chance that unto the end becomes a cult classic, uh, years from now. I think I stink at it too much. Like I, I can't, I can't, I can't. And I don't know if either of you have played any of it, but like, I haven't, I think it's too hard. I'm I'm looking forward to it though. I think it's too hard for me. So I'm curious if, you know, what others see your play. Like very early, I got into encounters with multiple enemies and I died a lot. And maybe it's just end of the year and I don't have the time. I keep turning left, you know, so to speak to use the souls reference, like just go right. It's so much easier going right. Um, but I get into these encounters and I just can't get through them. And, and I think it might be the Immortals Phoenix Rising, Cyberpunk 2077, Hades, uh, Valhalla, like this burning ember of these other games I'm already in on that's preventing me from sitting down and being like, game on, three demons, I will beat you. Or three ghoulies, I will beat you. I didn't yeah. this time. Nice try. Like it loads quickly. But I, I highly recommend checking it out. I cannot say it's for you if that makes sense. Like, I think it looks expertly made. I think people are going to love it if it scratches that itch for them. I don't think it scratches the itch for me. I think it's too hard, but my goodness, I think they nail the promise of their premise. And I I love when games do that, even if it's not for me. That's unto the end. Unto the end, yes. The second one is I, uh, oh, I should mention I cyberpunked on my phone with my backbone via GeForce Now. I love it, man. I have good internet. It's so great, speaking about getting lost in side missions, to just sit down in bed and bang out some side missions on my phone. Anyway, uh, that is how I uh, got back into Avengers. The new Kate Bishop content came out. (laughs) I'll talk about Avengers in the end of the year. Um, (laughs) I did not want to load it back onto my SSD. (laughs) So I just played it on GeForce Now. (laughs) I love streaming. Um, It's like, I want to see you content, but not enough to put you onto my hard drive um <laughs> man <sighs> coming back to I, I love the character of kate bishop i love the team that made avengers and i love the other games they've made but coming back to that game especially after clearing the map on miles morales to me avengers is such a mediocre game that only yeah. seems more mediocre now in comparison um I I, I cannot recommend that you go back to the game currently, which bums me out. 
and that's that's the Avengers Kate Bishop content that I I finished that narrative content and it's I like the story but the game is just it's not good. I want to quickly mention uh, Pixel Junk Eden 2. This is a game I have been looking forward to. I didn't even know how much I was looking forward to it because for a long time I didn't even know they were making it. Uh, but I absolutely adored the first Pixel Junk Eden back in 2008. It was released wow. on P- PlayStation 3. One of my favorite games that year. I still think about Pixel Junk Eden. Nothing else like it. It's extraordinary. Talk about art direction. Uh, a gorgeous, gorgeous, fun Zen game. And they just came out with a sequel only on Switch, uh, which is actually a great platform to play it. Uh, evidently, there was like a mobile game that was kind of an Eden knockoff or not knockoff, but like a sort of a side. It wasn't called Pixel Junk Eden, but it was called something else Eden. Anyway, this uses a lot of that. I never played that mobile game. I actually didn't even know it existed. But uh, I guess some of that content has made it into this sequel. It's just wonderful to return to Pixel Junk Eden. I think that his game is wildly underrated. It was so much fun. Such a cool little puzzle. Kind of hard to explain game, but you're in these little evolving um, gardens, I guess is the best term, but they don't look yeah, much like yeah. gardens. An abstracted garden. Uh, and you play this little creature that can spin a like a web and swing around uh, in a circle uh, from the center point of that web. And you're knocking into these little pollen nodes that shoot off little bits of pollen and you collect them and collecting them near uh near seeds that are placed in the level makes those seeds grow into new parts of that abstracted garden that lets you get to new places so you're sort of constructing the level as you go uh and uh i find it to be it's it's got a wonderful soundtrack this kind of trancey zen like soundtrack that makes me uh, calm and happy when playing this game, which is a no, sh- no no small feat because the game has a time limit. And usually time limits make me anxious and unhappy. And I kind of wish this game didn't have a time limit. It does have a mode where you can remove the time limit. So that's nice. But um, I don't think it needs the time limit at all. But it's nice that there are a lot of concessions from the first Pixel Junk Eden to the frustrations of that game. Namely, you're now allowed what is ostensibly a double jump. You're able to jump in or shoot yourself in a direction in midair, which you couldn't in the first game, uh, which would cause a lot of uh, consternation as you, you know, miss a leap, a swing from your vine. Um, But now you can kind of re you know, change your trajectory in midair, which is nice. And you are also able to reset the timer by going to these little kind of checkpoint places uh, so it's nice. And man, I just love this game. I love it, love it, love it. It's such a wonderful, you know, uh, right before bed type of experience, with especially with Switch. Uh, and it has co-op. I haven't tried the co-op in the sequel, but it, supposedly the co-op is very good. So uh, I highly recommend Pixel Junk Eden 2. I got it for less than $10. It is easy to recommend. Uh, I'm just zenning out and having a great time with it. So check it out. All right. Oh, man, what a great episode. There's so much more we could have talked about, but uh, Andrew, we'll have to have you back. Thank you so much yeah. for being here. We do have we do have our parting gifts coming up, so stick around for those. But uh, Andrew Reiner, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, love talking with you guys, and have a great rest of your year, and hopefully we'll get through this pandemic, and uh, we can be together at E3 again or somewhere and yeah. uh, and toast, uh, toast video games. That would be nice. Uh, tell folks where they can keep up with you and all the things that you do online. Yeah, I'm at GameInformer.com. I'm the editor-in-chief of the magazine and the website. 
I'm also author of books. I write them with with former football player Chris Cluey. We have one out there called Prime, a Genesis series event, and then we have two more on the way soon. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Andrew underscore Reiner. Drop me a line. Very, very cool. Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got going on this week? I will say, no offense to everyone else. I love all of you. But Game Informer cover stories, best in the biz, best in <laughs> Thanks for saying that. They're so, they're so beautiful. Um, also, I hate you because the, some of them are really good and they make me very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Twitter's the best way, at Spicer, S-P-I-C-E-R. Um, and, you know, yeah, the vaccine's here. Wear a mask social distance. It's not the silver bullet. It's not the silver hand um, <laughs> to, to get us through this thing. And, and we're close. We're close. So let's keep doing it. You know, let's keep doing yeah. it. Yeah. Keep on keeping on. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. You can send us an email here to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We love that. I also have several other shows for you to check out. If you're so inclined. Uh, hear me talk about movies and TV shows at the Slash Filmcast. You can find it slash filmcast.com. A lot of fun on that show. We also, I also do a uh, comedy science show where you can learn something and laugh along the way. It's called We Have Concerns. You can find it at wehaveconcerns.com. And I do my long form Dungeons and Dragons show called The Dungeon Run. Very, very proud of that one. This last week was a wild episode. It's called Chicken Fight. And it's because the team had to fight a 20 foot tall chicken and uh, it's a wild fun silly great adventure a little side quest that the team is on right now so great jumping on point as well you can find that show as an audio podcast by searching for the dungeon run wherever you get podcasts it's also a video show with some amazing visuals we do an entire virtual reality tabletop uh you have to see it to believe it the chicken is extraordinary in vr i mean you're not watching it in vr but it's it's on youtube so check it out on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run there, or uh, watch live on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time as we stream at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. All right, uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Let's uh, close things out with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion. Andrew, do you have a recommendation to help people get through their week? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to recommend people read uh, and not Game Informer stuff, but uh, I'm a big comic book head and there is an extraordinary series going on right now. And that is Thor, the, the God of Thunder, you know, uh, from the Marvel films and, and you know, uh, expanded lore. And this is written by Donnie Cates, who has just taken this series in a whole new direction, made Thor a uh, tied him in with Galactus uh, of, of all of the characters in, in a big and, and meaningful way. And I think it's one of the best comic series I've read in, in years. And, you know, it might be expensive to get the back issues, but I think they do have some trades out there now. And I think they're on like issue 11 or 12, but if you're into Marvel comics or just Marvel lore in general, this is one of the best stories out there. So take a look at Thor. Awesome. Wow. I gotta, I gotta catch up. I'm, I'm, I've not been reading that. Uh, Christian Spicer, what about you? Parting gift? Yeah, I, 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 this is easy. Uh, I wasn't prepared because we're doing this earlier than normal, so I apologize. But uh, Andrew made it very easy for me just now. Anything that Donnie's written, go read it. Like, <laughs> the word's great. Venom, yeah. Go, anything, anything. Uh, always, always fascinating takes on characters. And 
as much as I do love my physical books, the, the solution for Thor is digital. Um, I, I oh, think sure. they're, worth, yeah. they're worth reading at, at any cost. If you have a great tablet to, or a tablet, the comic book experience on a tablet is nice. I would recommend not guided view for the Thor books though, because I think the, the full page makes an impact as you work through it. But yeah, easy, easy. I will just uh, hop on what Andrew recommended. Thor is great. And then once you're done with that or up to date, find anything that Donnie's done before and, and go dive in. I like how the time we were recording made it a surprise that we were doing Parting Gift, even though this is the 368th time we've done it. Christian, no, it's I, the 369th time we've done it. Is it? Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. Um, whatever the case, we've done it a few times. <laughs> yeah, but what I'm saying is normally I spend my Sunday drinking a cup of coffee, thinking about uh, what, what music I want to send people. Oh, Taylor Swift's new album. Did it. So good. Man, talk about Tating Game Informer and their great cover stories. Like for any other artist, this would be the B side that comes out a year later. It's like, hey, we also did these in studio. I didn't think they lived up to be on the track, so here they are. Taylor's like, no, Stealth Launch five months later, just as good as Folklore. Had this come out first, it would have revolutionized your take on my career, just like Folklore did. As is, it just makes you hate me because I'm so good. I'm so yeah, Taylor Swift, easy, done. Okay, Jeff, go ahead. How do you like that? <laughs> well, hold on. If he gets two, I get two. No, you definitely get two. Now we have <laughs> cats and dogs living together. Go ahead. All right. Board game called Downforce. It is a racing board game, like kind of like an indie cars, and you're moving them along. You have a, a, a deck of cards or a hand of cards that tell you how many spaces you're moving. So much strategy, so much fun. Quick game, like 30 minutes. You can play it with up to six people. Don't do that now. <laughs> Wait until the pandemic's over. But if you have a family that likes board games, that's easy to pick up and play. Check out Downforce. If Andrew gets two, I'm a co-host of this show. <laughs> I get it. three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, friend of the show, Rob Davio, with that uh, redesign of Downforce. Very, very, uh, very good game. Uh, and one of the things that makes me so bummed about how long we went is that we didn't get a chance to do tabletop time. We'll have to have you back, Andrew, to do tabletop time. Sure. Because uh, you uh, you play you play the tabletop stuff. Um, my uh, my parting gift, n- not as cool as yours, I guess. I, actually, I think it is really cool. What am I saying? It's super cool. I just got a new PC. I built it. I love building PCs. Uh, but one of the annoying things about building a new PC is I'm going to reinstall all the stuff on your new hard drives when you get a brand new PC. There is a site I was not aware of until someone tipped me off called ninite n-i-n-i-t-e dot com and it is made for that very purpose it like it has a list of all the coolest stuff that people tend to install on new computers or you sort of need to have you know it's got a variety of awesome things uh you know your your audacities your chromes your you know just uh, the firefoxes all of the like stuff you don't ju- think about until you go to open yes. it and you're like oh just the bare bones like necessary stuff and it has checkboxes on all those things and has a variety of categories and it just installs them all for you it's them all up and running it, it, it's super slick super easy and i was like this is brilliant so i wanted to share with the audience i know it's a niche a need right you only need it once every several years i guess whenever you need to install a new computer but super useful ninite.com very very happy with that we also got a listener suggested parting gift this was sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com sent by dan dan says i really enjoy the show and i just wanted to suggest a parting gift for your listeners if you've ever wanted to get into D, but were too intimidated to start 
may I recommend the Blood Sword series of books by Oliver Johnson and Dave Morris. The books work as a four-player choose-your-own-adventure series with players taking up the roles of sage, enchanter, trickster, or warrior. Decisions are made by choosing the page to turn to, and each character gets to use their special abilities to turn to their own specific pages in the story. Combat is carried out on a squared grid map, and the story continues over the five-book series. It's an easy introduction to adventure gaming and can even be played over Zoom dungeon run style. Oh, thanks for the shout-out there. But without the cool map room. Yeah, we have... Very cool map room. Uh, I've never heard of these, but that sounds phenomenal. What a cool idea of taking the uh, choose-your-own-adventure style to a, a whole new level, it sounds like. Uh, again, they're called The Blood Sword Books by Oliver Johnson and Dave Morris. If you'd like to have your parting gift read right on the show, please send it to us, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Andrew Reiner and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our... Musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star, the cool bumpers. Thanks to all the folks hanging out in our chat room. We appreciate you. And thanks to each and every one of you who downloads the show. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.